Hey everyone, this is Nick Captain, the CEO of AdLava, and you're listening to the Vegas Forward Podcast. Las Vegas is typically known as the entertainment capital of the world, but there is so much more to be discovered in the personalities behind the town we call home. The podcast is an opportunity to delve into the lives of the people, uncovering not only what they do, but who they are. Business may keep our city strong, but it's the individuals that continue to create, innovate, and push Vegas forward. All right, welcome to uh, episode three of Vegas Forward. Today we have my uh, good friend, uh, mentor as well, Dr. Jonathan Bakhtari, uh, the CEO of E7 Health and Vegas Test Center, Drug Test Center, U.S. Drug Test Center, Mm -hmm. sorry. Um, Dr. Bakhtari, tell us a little bit about U.S. Drug Test Centers and E7 Health. Let's kick it off there. Uh, Tell us a little bit about both organizations. Well, E7 Health was the initial organization and U.S. Drug Test Centers was a sister company that spun off. <clears throat> because of the uh, technology we had developed uh, allowing that expansion to occur. But E7 Health started as a project about 10 years ago. We started off as a very small preventative health and wellness company, mainly focused on vaccines. We were mm-hmm. sort of like a COVID company before COVID existed. Okay. We did adult vaccinations, and we were in every industry that vaccines were involved, um, like employee health, student health. And then <clears throat> we expanded into drug testing, which was kind of uh, part of vaccinations in a roundabout way for employee health and student health. And so we had the technology to do that nationwide. And that's when we opened up U.S. drug test centers. That's awesome. And so at, at, uh, at, at, it was originally called the Vaccine Center when we right. first met, correct? Yes, yes. And then you rebranded because you went more national, correct? Is it, what was your well, reasoning for the well, rebrand? So the vaccine center, um, you know, did a lot more than vaccines. Mm-hmm. You know, vaccines were was <clears throat> the center of what we did. You know, for mm-hmm. adults, but we did physicals, we did laboratory testing, uh, we did drug testing also, and mm-hmm. we became so somewhat pigeonholed where we get a lot of clients that would come to us for vaccines and like, oh, I didn't know you guys did drug testing. I didn't sense. know you guys did physicals. Sure. So at a certain point, you know, I think for branding purposes. We wanted to, you know, let people know that even though adult vaccinations were at the core of everything we mm-hmm. did, we did a lot of other things around vaccinations to support those sort of books of business, as as you would call them. Got it. Okay, makes sense. Cool. Yeah. So it's awesome to hear, you know, your background, your story about your businesses. Tell us a little bit about your upbringing. Like, where are you from? <clears throat> yeah. Um, you know, give us a little bit about Dr. Bakhtari when he was a young buck. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> Yeah, so I grew up in Chicago, really okay. like inner city Chicago. And uh, <clears throat> I really grew up at a time when, you know, in Chicago where, you know, even when you were six, seven, eight years old, you yeah, you were out playing in the streets every day, mm-hmm. all day long. Things yeah, that we the good old probably, days. Yeah, things that we never let our kids do today, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I can't believe what, what we actually did back then. And sure. You, drive, you, know, you ride your bike anywhere you want when you're eight, nine, ten years old. And, yeah. You know, and that's in Chicago, that's too. In that's Chicago. not happening right now. Right. <laughs> well, actually, you know, I, I've gone back to some of those communities and, you know, I, in retrospect, they, yeah. they were pretty, you know, they were pretty tough communities in retrospect, even back then. Sure. But for whatever reason, you know, we we just didn't pick up on it probably as much as. Sure. And so, uh, yeah, just grew up in, in Chicago initially in the city and then in high school in the suburbs in Skokie. Um, and, uh, was there until I went away for college. And then you moved to California as well later in life. Well, so I went to uh, case Western for college and Ohio state for med school and then Northwestern back to Chicago uh, mm-hmm. for, um, my residency and internship. And then 
UCLA for my fellowship. So that's when I landed in California. Gotcha. By then, my, my parents had moved to Santa Monica or to California. And so I just wanted to be close to them. So mm-hmm. I, I was there for a few years to finish my training. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So what brought you to Las Vegas? You know what? I wanted to be as close to California as possible without, without actually being, being, <laughs> yeah. being in California. That's a common theme. Our, You're right. our, yeah, our last guest was a, was a real estate agent, real mm-hmm. successful. And mm-hmm. we were talking about the mass exodus from mm-hmm. people moving from yeah. California to, to Las Vegas, which is interesting. So, right. yeah, avoid the taxes and, you know. Yeah, it's just, uh, you know, the crowds, the traffic just seem like um, you wanted to have access to all that. Mm-hmm. But without necessarily, you know, being in it. Uh, yeah. Especially in Southern California, which is, well, you know, a lot of crowds, a lot of traffic. It's just uh, a lot of stuff going on. Yeah. And, and our podcast is all about like movers and shakers that live here, like yourself, right. that are really building, creating, innovating <clears throat> mm-hmm. in, in Vegas. And, um, you know, uh, what, what brought, like, what, what do you love about the city? Like, what are some things yeah. you think are advantageous as an entrepreneur or um, just a resident in general that you think is is unique about this town? Well, <clears throat> I think I think when people think of Las Vegas, and I think that's probably the reason why like Vegas never had a sports team until recently, because mm-hmm. everyone just thinks it's the Strip. Correct. And so, uh, what really is amazing about Vegas is is it's much more than the Strip. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's sort of like thinking LA is Disneyland and that's all there is in LA. Sure. People have this view that, you know, even when I moved here in the nineties, I think that was a perception that, Oh, uh, are you going to be living on the strip uh, yeah. when you move there? Um, and I think people miss out on the many opportunities there are here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you have really all the upside of a big city. Sure. Without necessarily it's the, a small the, town, still, yeah, 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 you get to know everybody, you know, one way or another, and um, you know, it really. I, I tell a lot of people, if you can't make it in Vegas, you probably can't make it. I mean, if yeah. you if you want to start something up, and uh, you know, like even in your case, you sure. know, uh, you know, if you, you can be, you know, uh, a innovative software company anywhere or a web design company anywhere, but Vegas gives you a lot of opportunities mm-hmm. um, just because I think it's not as saturated and and you can actually get to know people who are leaders in the industry and develop sure. relationships. And so if you have a good product or good company, mm-hmm. you can really launch it here and then the sky's the limit. Yeah. And plus you have all the trade shows and different people <laughs> from coming from you know, internationally, right. uh, different you know, states. Right, and and right. Vegas is a hub, you know, so yeah. most of the most of the things to do, um, a lot of uh, companies test products in the market here yeah. because they're getting a, a good flavor of different yeah. areas and, and demographics. Right. Yeah. So well, I'm sure you've, you've had this experience where, where you tell one of your new vendors where you're located, like, yeah. well, we'll be out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. People think it's so cool. Like, wow, you live in Vegas, yeah, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. They think about when they went out for their bachelor party. Right, it's not, it's not right, the same, right, you know? Right, right. Um, and they think you're going to take them for the same kind of yeah. experience. Yeah, they uh, lost that 10 years ago, yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So so um, I did notice your resume, compared to anyone I've ever seen, is, is extremely extensive, both in education and your career, which I found to be interesting. Because usually I like to break down milestones, but yours was too large to break down. So, <laughs> well, well, yeah. And my other question is, are you still paying off student loans? <laughs> yeah, no, thank goodness not. not. And truthfully, uh, you know, I, I hate to date myself, but when yeah. I went to school, 
Yeah, I think you know my med 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 school at Ohio State was three four thousand a year. Oh wow, those yeah, those I, days I mean, are over. Those days are over. Uh, so um, yeah, I had student loans, but yeah, uh, thank T- goodness they're gone. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about you. Started off at Case Western for biology and psychology. Yes, um, back before I was born. Yes. Not to date okay, you. all right. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks a lot. So um, tell us a little about your undergrad experience and then you know, yeah. moving on to Ohio State and the other and the other places that you went. Yeah. So I really wanted to be pre-med and do a science kind of major, mm-hmm. but I didn't want to be your typical science guy. So when I was searching for another mm-hmm. uh, major, you know, just psychology seemed to make sense. You know, back then you kind of, as a college student, you think, oh, psychology, I'll, I'll get to understand people. people or, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> nobody, will never, nobody will ever find that, crack that nut. Right, you know? right, right. Yeah. So I think that, you know, as a young person, you know, that you're kind of drawn to that. So sure. <clears throat> I did both majors and that was really, that was a really good um, background for everything else later on. And then after that, you know, I went to Ohio State University for medical school, which was an amazing experience, you know. I don't know how many undergraduates they have on that campus, 50, 60,000. Huge, yeah. It's like a city. <clears throat> and so it was really nice to get that Big Ten experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so um, it was, uh, yeah, I think everyone should get that huge college experience, even though I was a, I was in med school, but you certainly got a flavor for it and got to see the campus. Did you so, apply elsewhere? Were you looking at other schools or what, you know, what drew uh, you to Ohio State? Well, you know, uh, I was uh, I was a case, so I, I would get in-state tuition. I think that was a big drawback. Yeah, then. there you go. And yeah. I got to tell you, Ohio State is an amazing med school. I mean, they're ranked pretty high, but mm-hmm. it it is not for the faint-hearted. It, it yeah. was a very arduous you know, that stereotype of them, of, of med schools destroying their medical students in terms of work. Uh, it really was it was the case then. Maybe things have changed. But, yeah, it was very rigorous. And, you know, I kind of came out of Ohio State feeling, you know, really well prepared. Mm-hmm. It, it, everything else seemed so easy. What were your hours like? Was it, it, was it like <clears throat> nights yeah. and weekends? Yeah. And- yeah. Well, the first two years of med school are basic science. So you're in classes. Okay. And then gotcha. the last two years, you're in clinic. Okay. And I certainly remember some of those rotations where, you know, you got there at five or six in the morning so you could pre-round on your patients. Yeah. So you could be ready for rounds at seven o'clock. Wow. And yeah, yeah and you had to know your stuff. Yeah. And uh, the medical students were were looked to, you know, know everything by 7 a.m. You know, whatever happened to the patient overnight, you were supposed to report it mm. by 7 a.m. So you... You really had to know your stuff and you had to be really hustling all the That's time. It's got to be nerve wracking as a young student <clears throat> to like actually be with real patients. And, and you know, um, what was that like? You know? Yeah. I, I think a lot of that imposter syndrome that people keep talking about, you know, because sure. you wear a white coat and I think the patients think you're a doctor and when, sure. of course, you're not. Yeah. And you're like, I, 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 how did I even get here? <laughs> you know, first thing you have just applying to some yeah. program. I fill out an application. <laughs> Next yeah. thing you know, they're putting me in a room with people yeah, that yeah. think I'm a doctor. And so that <laughs> imposter syndrome really, and it stays with you into internship. You're like, I remember when I was the first, first day at internship at Northwestern, mm-hmm. I was on call. The first day they said, okay, you're on call tonight. Yeah. And I remember, you know, getting a beeper back then and and getting a phone call, my first phone call mm-hmm. from a nurse. And, you know, they call me and say, Dr. Bakhtari. And that was weird to hear that. Sure. And they're like something like, you know, Mrs. Smith is shorter breath, you know, in room 302. Yeah. 
And the first thing I thought of, and this is really true, I'm like, why are you calling me? Shouldn't you be calling a doctor? And they're like, yeah. oh, wait, <laughs> I am the doctor. <laughs> it's so funny, though. It must be bizarre, right? It's, you yeah. can't believe it. You're like thrown into it. Kind yeah, of. yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, of course, you have your resident that you can call whatever. But that that nurse calling you, mm -hmm. you're like, hey, if th this person is really sick, you know, what are you doing wasting your time calling me? <laughs> yeah. you, you should be, uh, you know, calling someone that really knows what they're talking about. Exactly. So <laughs> that's awesome. Mm -hmm. So you were at Northwestern and then where did you go from there? You, you yeah, had... So Northwestern was for three years for okay. internal medicine. And then I went to UCLA um, for pulmonary and critical care fellowship. Okay. And then post um, UCLA, um, did you well, stay so, in California for yeah, a little while? And then no. So my first job, believe it or not, I got recruited to University of Hawaii as a quasi faculty position in their oh, wow. ICU. Oh, cool. And I spent two, three years there. What was that experience like? What island were you on? Well, I was at Queens Medical Center in Honolulu. Oh, okay. So it's uh, the big university, University of Hawaii's hospital. Mm -hmm. Uh and did you enjoy living out there? I did. I did. It was, it was uh, you know, got to see, you know, obviously all the islands and and, and, and that. Um, and it was, uh, an, as a new grad, it was, a, it was an amazing experience because I got to, uh, you know, get involved early. I think I was like their first or second faculty member that they hired. So okay. I was getting it on the ground floor. It was a really good experience. I really enjoyed that a lot. Cool. And where did you go from there, from Hawaii? That, that, that's when I got recruited and I got a position uh, in Las Vegas with Pulmonary Associates. Okay. Which is, I think back then, one of the bigger pulmonary critical care groups in Las Vegas. Mm -hmm. So I got uh, recruited here as a junior guy and eventually became partner. Okay. And uh, yeah. And I noticed you're a medical director at multiple, the Valley Hospital <clears throat> System. Tell us a little bit about that experience. Is that more of a, um, are you day-to-day -day in the operations? Is it more of like you're on the board of some kind? Like what is the role? Well, so I did clinical for a while and then slowly I started doing more administrative stuff. You know, mm -hmm. I was chief of medicine at Desert Springs Hospital. I was head of the ICU for a year at St. Rose and then um, at uh, at uh, at a rehab facility. Um, and so that, that kept opening more and more doors. And eventually I was medical director for Anthem Blue Cross Blue Shield for the state of Nevada and uh, medical director, co-medical director at the Culinary Health Fund, and then system medical director for uh, utilization management for the Valley Health System. So, so, so you were on the admin side, were you still practicing on a daily basis or? Yeah, yeah for part of that, I was practicing mm -hmm. for the culinary and uh, culinary health fund and for, um, uh, blue cross, Anthem blue cross, I was half, half, Okay. but eventually I just transitioned to full-time administrative. And of, of course, in 2010, more of a CEO role at uh, E7 health. Did you enjoy, uh, the medical life? I mean, what were the pros and cons? Yeah. You know, it's funny because it's always the grass is greener on the other side, right? Sure. So when you're in clinical, you're like, Oh, Look at all these people who are in administrative medicine. They, yeah, they're not on call, and yeah. you know they they have a more you know comfortable hours and what have you. And then when you're on that side, you're like, wow, I miss clinical, and sure. I wish I could see patients. So um, I think the grass is always greener. I think it's simply, are you ready for a new chapter? I think you've done that. You've evolved sure. from you know one. Yeah technology field to another. Sure. And I think so maybe you can relate to that. But yeah, uh, uh, like as you go, you're like, wow, I mean, why should I 
why should my skills stop at this? Yeah. Uh, keep and learning and ke- keep yeah. learning and what have you. I mean, mm-hmm. you, I mean, you yourself you know, can maybe talk to that about how, you know, moving from one area, you know, of technology, but still software development is a whole new. Oh, it is. A yeah, whole new animal. Different. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, you're always challenging yourself saying, I wonder, you know, what else I can do. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, if, if if I would if I would say anything about clinical, I think a lot of doctors get stuck because they get trained to do that. That's what they know how to do. Sure. And the question is, you know, do you want to get out of your comfort zone and go into well, something else when you're already really good at something? It's funny because it's a common theme with with the other people I've spoken to on the podcast, but also just other business owners in general. It takes a unique person to like, um, I always tell the team, like it's always a, put yourself outside your comfort zone, right. you know, be in situations where you don't know everything like this podcast. I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, but, man. but it's fun. Right. Yeah, and, yeah, and, yeah. and I wouldn't have known it was right. fun and I enjoyed it until I did it. Right. And right. I'm not comfortable, but, yeah, but it's, yeah. it's kind of, that's how you grow as a, as a person, both in business and, and also um, personally. Right? right. So it's pretty awesome. So what, um, one of the interesting things I think about your career path is, you you are classically trained in in in, in the medical field, right. and then you've moved over into the let's call it the private industry, if you right. will. And then you had your own private practice. How did how did that happen? When did you decide, hey, I want to I'm an entrepreneur. I want to I want to create my own businesses. Right. At what point? You know, it's sort of um, it was such a slow evolution that it's like you know watching grass grow. You I, there wasn't a point. It was always like okay, let me do some administrative. Let me do some more administrative. Sure. You know, you know, because at some, at one point, you know, I was doing clinical and mm-hmm. at another point I was also on faculty at both of the med schools here in town. So I was doing teaching. Oh, very cool. And then on top Toro of- Toro too, right? At Toro. Yeah. I was clinical professor at, at Toro Medical School as well as um, University of Nevada. And we taught the residents and interns and I lectured at Toro's med school for mm-hmm. the second year of medical students. And so you start doing that and then you get another opportunity to, you know, do something else. And it's, it's one door keeps opening another door. Sure. So it's not like you wake up that one morning and saying, I want to do yeah, this. I remember yeah. like, you know, being involved in administrative medicine at the hospital and I get a phone call. Hey, can you help us at Anthem Blue Cross Blue Shield, which was now going from clinical to being actually being paid by insurance companies. Okay. And so... It was cool because I, I got to see medicine from all, essentially the four pillars, which is clinical teaching, sure, as well as the hospital side and the insurance side. So that That's gives you a perspective of how the system works. Of the whole, yeah, yeah, yeah. So in fact, you know, uh, I, we're talking about doing my own podcast or, or show, and and one of the things that came to my mind is, you know, I'm probably one of the very few people that can do like an expose on healthcare because. You've done it all. Yeah. I've, you know, I've seen all four angles of it, you know, teaching, clinical, mm-hmm. the hospital and the insurance side. And so you really get a sense for all the moving pieces. Yeah. And it also gives you an opportunity to figure out how to make things better. Yeah. Because, you know, when you get to see it from everybody's angle, you can see where the problems in the system are. And I think that's been really helpful with E7 Health because- mm-hmm. You know, we write our own software for our own electronic medical records. And a lot of that is understanding, for example, that what 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 role do the insurance companies necessarily play 
in software development in medicine because, you know, the software has to make the insurance company happy. Sure. Yeah. And the software also has to make the patient happy and the mm -hmm. software has got to make the doctor happy. And, and who gets priority in what as you're developing technology? Yeah. Uh, obviously, you know, every uh, hospitals and doctors are very motivated by getting reimbursed. Right. If they don't get reimbursed, nothing really matters. Right. <laughs> yeah, sure. So they have to comply. And also government regulations. You know, how do you comply with government regulations, Medicare mm -hmm. regulations? So your software development and your technology has a lot of masters. Sure. And so what we did at E7 is, well, let's say we cut out some of those masters mm -hmm. and focus on just quality and mm -hmm reducing friction for the patients. Yeah. And what would that do? And it was understanding all the angles that I think helped maybe formulate that strategy a little bit. Yeah, and I always found that to be unique about you. I mean, you know, you always think big, right? And a lot of doctors, because at AdLava, we've done projects for, you name it. I mean, mm -hmm. medical doctors, dentists, et cetera. And, and most, there's a common theme where a lot of them, maybe so they don't understand technology or have a passion mm -hmm. for it, but they don't invest in their own technology. I think that's mm -hmm. one of the things, because I've been a, a patient of yours, mm -hmm. gone down there for vaccines, et cetera. And you just walk right in, the, the system is all set up. There's a real mm -hmm. set, smooth process. The staff is friendly. Mm -hmm. You go into the computer, you sign in, you fill out the form, and it's it's a lot of automation, mm -hmm. the portal. Um, what made you decide to invest in that? Was it mainly to, you know, customer focused uh, to make a better experience for your customers? Was it the four pillars that you're talking about? A mm -hmm. uh, combination of both? Yeah, I, th I think it was an opportunity to understand where the friction is naturally in mm -hmm. traditional medicine. Yeah. And, and and realize, you know, what's really important in terms of quality, mm -hmm. in terms in terms of patient satisfaction. I mean, it's almost like comical if you really think about it. What other industry do you walk in and they give you a clipboard with 30 pages of exactly. stuff on it. Yeah. That's just like you, it's frustrating for the customer too. Right. right? But, but, but what other yeah. industry would get away with that? Yeah. I mean, if, yeah. if you were going to go get your hair cut and they gave you a clipboard with <laughs> 30 pages, you're like, yeah. Or, or what other industry gets away with, uh, you know, when you call the office, you know, if you want to make an appointment, dial one. Yeah. If you want your medical records, dial two. And if you want it's very to, personal. And, yeah. and and no matter what number you dial, they'll say, and we'll get back to you in 2440 <laughs> yeah. So like thinking yeah. that could be done better. Yeah, that, yeah. It, it can be done better. There's yeah. something there's something that screams out um, you know, better patient experience and and quality too. I mean, we're not touching on that, but how do you improve, make sure, you know. Errors aren't made, uh, you know, like in our, a lot of our software development mm -hmm. really doesn't translate into anything financial because, you know, we spend money on things that prevent human error. Sure. So if you're going to, you know, if there, a patient has an allergy to something, you know, the option to give them a vaccine that they're allergic to almost doesn't exist because the system won't allow it. Sure. And so to you, if you can automate some of that stuff. Mm -hmm. And, and get the human error component out. Now, yeah. you know, generally there's not a lot of ROI on that kind of sure. investment per se, of course. You but know. over time, you know, it has a, a direct impact. It, it's easier for your staff, um, yes. less paper, right? And, 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 and safer for the patients. I sure. mean, so that's really, 
Um, yeah. And yeah. the one thing I always say is um, it just turns out coincidentally mm-hmm. that great quality medicine is the best business. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just coincidentally. Yeah, exactly. You know, just providing amazing quality. Mm-hmm. Just coincidentally. Yeah. Is the best business. I mean, it's, it's, that's, it, it, and, it works out that way. And this town has a kind of a bad rap, almost like education for, you know, mm-hmm. poor medical um, expertise. You know, there's mm-hmm. really some great specialists, but some of the generalists um, mm-hmm. are not quite as good. Do you think that the fact that they don't invest in technology, automation processes, you know, could have an, a negative impact on, on the way the um, consumers look at the local, you know, medical field? No, actually, you know, that's a really untold story. The reason, Really, is because we never really had a med school in, in Las Vegas. I think interesting. Okay, I think you know there's a most doctors know in town. Carson City fought for a long time to keep the only med school in Reno. Okay, and politically they didn't. I shouldn't say this. Yeah. didn't want to have a med school in Las Vegas for ever and ever, even though Las Vegas was the dominant city. Sure. So that, I think Las Vegas. I don't know the stat, but it was certainly the you know largest city. You know, two million or more. Mm-hmm. that didn't have a medical school. Of course, Toro eventually came in sure. to fill that void. But certainly, even right now, you know, they're just getting started with an MD medical school. Uh, so when is that I, set to be completed? Can, I think they're already off the ground. They, they already okay. have, yeah. But I mean, I don't think there's another city, and maybe I'm wrong, that has 2 million uh, people and, and doesn't have a medical school. That makes sense though. That, that's definitely probably why, because it's a feeder, right? For, right. you know, yeah. good yeah. education. Yeah. Well, yeah. And also people get trained here, mm-hmm. you know, go to med school here and they do residency and they stay here. So yeah. most are <clears throat> essentially all the primary care doctors mm-hmm. that we have in Las Vegas for the most part, especially before Toro came, were trained somewhere else. So we had to bring them in Interesting. Yeah. Uh, you know, you look at like a city like Chicago has like seven, eight medical schools, I, I think, or more. Yeah. And so I think it's been a it's been a long time coming. So I'm happy to see it now. No, that's awesome. So you have E7 Health and you have U.S. Drug Test Centers. Um, what's interesting, too, is you also have, you know, commercial properties that you own, um, mm-hmm. you know, really successful um, strip mall down the street. You also have a gym, um, you know, very diverse. How did you get into each one of those ventures and like, do you find it challenging to manage um, and operate a gym and also manage and operate, you know, mm-hmm. uh, the E7 Health, for example? Right. What right. are some of the challenges there? Um, you know, I, I think, as you know, our, our style is to really um, have people in place that we're not going to micromanage. So you've met a lot of my staff sure. and, and, and our, our we call them owners, co-owners. Uh, so I think it's, a, it's all a matter of setting up systems where, uh, you let people do what they're good at and you get out of their way and, mm-hmm. and you support them. Okay. I mean, that's really the the strategy. And I, and I, you know, I've seen you do that too. And I think, I think that's really a marker, you know, just get out of the way, yeah. provide the leadership, provide the support, you know, provide the technology and then get out of the way. No, I totally agree. And, and any reason why you picked those uh, businesses or, you know, I, I think the real estate was just a function of, we just needed to house some of you know, almost all our things are, we have offices. Sure. So we, you know, basically in a roundabout way, we own the real estate that we have house, you know, we have our offices in. Yeah. So that just kind of was a natural extension. Got it. It kind of made sense, right? To yeah. kind of own, if you're going to be, people will say, if you're going to be renting, you might as well own it. Yeah. And one of the things I've learned from you too, is you really spend a lot of time and attention to 
um, you know, SOPs and your, and your process and, mm-hmm. you know, hiring the right people. W- w- how do you find the right person you yeah, know, to work for wow. you? I know it's a, it's a challenging yeah. thing for any business owner, yeah. but what, what method do you go about doing it? And what, and what characteristics do you look for in the right, the perfect fit for uh, an employee of yours? Well, you got to understand the majority of people who get a job understand they're getting a job. So if I'm getting a job at the MGM, and I, sure. don't, I don't want to put the MGM down, I'm just saying, but if I'm getting a, just a typical job, I mean, I don't think MGM is expecting that employee to alter their stock price yeah. once they bring them on board. Sure. So I think I think is educating people saying this is the kind of company we are where if you come into our company, you mm-hmm. can actually make a dramatic difference in our growth. Sure. And if you do, we're going to take care of you both professionally and financially which i've seen you do many times yeah Yeah. thank you and i think it's and so they they have to know when they're interviewing this is not a job where i'm going to melt into the wallpaper sure clock in clock out and and, and show up and whatever and uh, you know i've said it before you know if certainly when you're at the beginning when you only have three or four employees Mm. If they're not all LeBron James and Michael Jordans, it's it's going to problem. Re- it's going yeah. to severely reduce your chance of success. It's true. Yeah, but you got to let them know that hey, if you're again, we're using basketball metaphors here. If you're LeBron James or Michael Jordan, uh, you know the sky's the limit for you, and professionally and financially. So I, I think it's that two way street where you have to let let. Um, people know that they're going to be essentially co-owners yeah and you're going to take care of them that's awesome yeah and it's the way to do it right it's how right. to build a good culture and a team and right and, and like you said we i, I have a small business right so mm-hmm. you have one bad seed and it's it's a it's right. a major problem right? both you know negative energy um you yeah. know we've, we, and we've all stumbled upon upon those people and right. it's all about finding a good fit you know for the for the company culture which, what's interesting though if if you build that culture is strong enough mm-hmm. You know, the people that really kind of identify the people who are not fitting in are not the bosses. It's the other co, co-staff co Yeah. where, you know, and so if someone really just wants a nine to five job and they show up and they look around and say, hey, wow, no one's clocking in and out here. Everyone's yeah. like, yeah. So it either forces them to reevaluate, you know, how they're approaching it or... Sure. You know, maybe this isn't for me. Yeah. So it, it kind of, you don't even have to intervene after a certain point. The culture forces people to make a decision. That's a great point, yeah. It's like a fork in the road, right? Yeah. So you either like, wait a minute, there's a bunch of owners in this company. Everyone's an owner. Yeah. So sounds like that's the only way to yeah. do it. So, hey, maybe this is a good time for me to be an owner. Well, because I, I notice that when I go to your business, because I go to your gym, and mm-hmm. I also have been to your, your mm-hmm. clinic, and you know, I I don't see you there like hovering over people's shoulder, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's it's, but everyone is a professional, right? And they and they're focused on their role, and um, it has a lot to do with obviously the owner, right? Setting mm-hmm. the tone for what mm-hmm. what your expectations are, but finding the right people that want that, and that, that's what I always look for in mm-hmm. someone, because I always say. You know, it's not my quote, but you can't, you can always teach someone how to do something, but you can't teach them how to have, you know, great work ethic, Mm -hmm. um, you know, caring when they come into work, right? right? And you can't teach that. And I've I've had, I've hired people that instantly day one, they were off and running and 
you know, really setting their own destiny, right? Learning, learning and growing, um, getting educated because I'm here to support them. And so are mm -hmm. you to make sure that they have all the tools that they need to succeed. Right. But at the same time, inherently in them, they have to have that will right. and that drive, right? Which is, which is hard. So. Yeah. If yeah. I can paraphrase, I mean, what you say is something I always say, you know, it, when we're going over a process, mm -hmm. I'm like, well, we can teach you this process. We sure. can teach you this software. We can teach you how to make a sale. We can teach you how to input data in, we can, yeah. but we can't teach you to care. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, yeah. I, and I think that's what you're hitting on where you, you can't teach someone. Mm -hmm. um, that, that doesn't mean you can't mentor people. Sure. Because actually, I, you know, on some level, I, if you have had five jobs in a row where caring didn't matter. Yeah. You know, and, and I don't want to, you know, throw any particular industry under the bus, but just there are certain jobs where they just need you to come in, clock in, clock out, mm -hmm. do a good job. Don't piss anyone off, you and know, move on. <laughs> yeah. and they're happy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. And, and, and they want more of those. So, sure. so if you just happen to have those kind of positions mm -hmm. and you come on to and get a job with Nick, yeah. you're like, well, the, the last five people were okay with that. Yeah. I don't yeah. know what this Nick guy is talking about <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> being an owner. Yeah. Because yeah. my last five guys were like, hey, you just show up on time. Don't piss anyone off. Get the actual work done. We're good. But it makes and, such an impact when you're a small company. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, and, and that person, you have one person that puts in 110%. Right. They're the ones that see the raises that, you know, right. the, they, they bump up, you know, their right. role. Like, um, and, and it happens time and time again. Yeah. And, and that's one thing that I always stress. Yeah. Here. Well, you know, the I, I always say, ask people, did I catch you at the right time in your life? Mm -hmm where you want to do that. Because yeah. honestly, I think in my life, there were times where, you know. You weren't I, looking for that. I was just looking to clock in and out, maybe yeah. in my 20s or whatever. I just, sure. I'm like, you know, whatever. I just, I, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm not going to light, I'm going to do a good job, but I'm not lighting the place on fire. <laughs> yeah. You know? yeah. Okay. I'm gonna, just good enough to keep the job, right? <laughs> good enough to keep the job, but yeah. I'm not going to light this place on fire. Sure. And so a lot of times is, you know, did you catch them in that phase? Because mm -hmm. if you look back at your life, you sure. know, and almost everyone, they'll remember there was times in their lives where they just wanted a job. Look, I yeah. just want, I want to climb. I'm going to do a good job. I though. worked at P.F. Chang's during the lunch shift. So oh, there was, you go. That was not my, uh, <laughs> Okay. But you, you weren't trying to improve P.F. Chang's stock price, were you? No, no, no. no. <laughs> you're like, you're like, lucky if I showed up those days. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I didn't uh, walk in when you were there. I was interested. But, but I think that's a good example. I mean, yeah. you know, when you get a job there, I mean, you're you're not saying if I rock this world, sure, you know, P.F. Chang is moving up uh, in the world. Well, and, you feel limited naturally. You yeah. know, you have that one specific role. Right. Maybe you get a better shift. Right. right. But other than that, the manager's not going anywhere. Right. So yeah. it, you feel a little bit locked in. And, yeah. I, and I always want everyone here, and I know you're the same way, yeah. is nobody's locked into any particular right. role. You're a designer one day and you want to become a salesperson. Let's do it. Let's do it. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. To add to what you're saying, it's so funny how you and I have the same examples because, you know, it's sort of like uh, getting in at any level and then you can be anything. So almost everything is an mm -hmm. entry level position in the sense sure. that, like you said, you can get in as an administrative assistant and, you know, be running the social media department you know, a couple of years later. Yeah. So every position is just to get into the organization for both you and I, I think. Yeah. And then once you get in, mm -hmm. you know, you can be. Sky's a, the limit. I, I, just a really great example. I hired an 18 year old a few, two, three years ago. And I, I happened to be talking to the principal of my school and said, Hey, do you know anybody that can do 
some scanning and and what have you for a summer job. Yeah. Uh, you know, um, just uh, maybe a high school kid or something, you know, sure. that can scan, you know, a few hours a day or something. We just had a lot of like one project that required that. And we got her on board. And after two, three weeks, we're like, wow. wow. Yeah. And now she runs the whole department at U.S. Drug Test Center. No kidding. Yeah. Wow. And so just you, you just saw it right away that, you know, she... She wanted to light the world on fire. That's awesome. Yeah. Those are great stories to hear too. Yeah. It lets people know that it's, it's, it's possible. It's just, it's all about putting in the effort and the work for it. Right? Well, yeah, I think a lot of people yeah. say, well, I've got this job scanning for a few hours a day for three weeks. I'm just, I'm just going to, yeah. I'm just going to, you know, half, half do it and yeah. pray for the best. And yeah. she came in and just like owned it. Yeah. And we're like, wow. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome to hear. So, so let's transition over to the hot topic, obviously coronavirus. Yes. Um, and and as, as, as I mentioned before, you and I are friends too. So mm -hmm. back in March, I think, uh, I think our last day here at the office was March 12th or 13th, mm -hmm. which is, yeah. you know, right around the corner, going to be a full year. Right. right. Um, and I remember telling you, oh, this will all pass over. <laughs> it's mm -hmm. not a big deal. Mm -hmm. You know, thinking that it was just all hyped up with mm -hmm. the media and stuff mm -hmm. like that. And obviously I was wrong. Um, <laughs> so um, what, what made you, you know, I'm assuming it's it's your experience as a, as a physician, mm -hmm. right? Um, you're like, no, this is this is much, much bigger. And I think I said 18 months. You did. Yeah. And why? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, because the last pandemic in, sure. that I was in, in back in uh, 1918, 1918, <laughs> it took two, three years. So uh, I just yeah. extrapolated. <laughs> I just thought, well, gee, golly. Yeah. Uh, no, you know, I mean, I, look, I. I, I was the biology major. A lot of that was in microbiology, virology. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I kind of get it. And we're in the vaccine business. Sure. You know, we, we're, we've been doing adult vaccinations and dealing with viruses. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, basically a COVID company before the COVID came around. We, yeah. were, we were it. You know, we weren't doing primary care. We weren't doing all we were doing was adult vaccinations and sure. preventing, you know, uh, vaccine related uh, illnesses. Yeah. So when this came along, it, it was pretty obvious that it was going to be a pandemic. Um, and uh, the our history of developing vaccines, which is how we normally traditionally deal with viruses, mm -hmm. has been poor. It, you know, it takes five to 10 years often to develop yeah. a vaccine. Yeah. Is a lot of that due to like red tape and politics and money or is it or is it just take that long uh, for research? And uh, why, why did it take so long before? Well, I think it's, first of all, it's, it's multifactorial. I think a lot of the pharmaceutical company vaccine manufacturers, I mean, don't necessarily collaborate because obviously if they're able That's to pull point. it off. Also, there's a lot of risk in developing vaccines. You know, uh, you know, we joke in the vaccine world, if, if you get a vaccine, if your child gets a vaccine and he doesn't wind up going to Harvard, yeah, you know, you go back and sue the vaccine manufacturer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and so there, there's this a lot of liability in creating vaccines because, sure. uh, you know, just like an aspirin, theoretically, everything has a side effect. The of question course. is, is on balance, is there more benefit? Um, than potential downside. Yeah. And so a lot of the vaccine manufacturers are really um, limited. In fact, there was like a super fund that we pay every time we buy a vaccine, we pay a little extra more that goes into a super fund that protects the vaccine manufacturers from lawsuits. Interesting. Almost like, you know, those super flood insurance and whatever. Yeah. And so there's a lot, lot, a lot of risk. And, and I think a lot of vaccine manufacturers get sued left and right. So they're scared to, they're scared, move fast. they're yeah. scared to move fast and yeah. they want to make sure, mm -hmm. you know, 
uh, which is good. I mean, on some level, but you know, are they occasionally overly cautious? Also, in all fairness, um, you know, we were able to create a vaccine in less than twelve months. It's unreal, yeah. Uh, and that was a lot to had a lot to do with two other things, which is the government support, financial support. Basically, they were guaranteeing essentially to buy the vaccine before they knew it worked. Yeah, especially with Moderna and, and Pfizer. Uh, and then the mRNA technology really hadn't been done f for a vaccine, mm -hmm. really. I know Moderna was playing around with it for 10 years for other things, anti-cancer, whatever. But uh, to be able to literally create an mRNA vaccine in six to eight weeks and then go to clinical trials was a testimony to that new technology. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and we had the, we mentioned earlier the Spanish flu, mm. 1918, and then there was H1N1 in, in mm -hmm. 2009. Mm -hmm. what, what makes the COVID-19 um, virus so much more devastating than, than the other the other two, or at least H1N1? Yeah, uh, well, H1N1 was a, the flu, so mm -hmm. it's, it's, not a, it's not a coronavirus, but um, I mean, the, the coronavirus, you know, the COVID-19 uh, or um, the, the is is really a, a vaccine of a century. I mean, it's yeah. really it's highly contagious, uh, so it it you know easily spreads. Uh, obviously, there wasn't a lot of natural immunity for it prior to it. Sure, uh, and this motor transmission is you know what humans do the most congregate. Sure. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's not Especially in this town. Yeah. <laughs> or, yeah. yeah. But, or, you know, in a lot of countries where everyone's kind of condensed, condensed. Yeah. So I, I think when you get a virus, which mo the mode of transmission is basically humans congregating, um, you know, that's, um, that's a recipe for a worldwide pandemic. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think the COVID-19 vaccine uh, virus is, is is the virus of uh, you know of a century? I mean, it's not one that's uh, we've seen lately, and uh, it it was devastating. It, it's too contagious. It's too easily transmitted. Yeah. And so here we are. And you notice a lot of the immunologists and, and experts, you know, when it first came out, mm -hmm. um, they could look back at H one N one or mm -hmm. the Spanish flu, possibly, and yeah. um, but there was a lot of confusion, and you know. Um, uh, decisions that were made that were kind of mm -hmm. came off as flip floppy. Right. And, and, um, but they didn't know. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it, do you feel the same way? Like, like, should they have known more or, or was there not another case study in the past that was uh, similar? Well, I mean, we, we had the, the first SARS and the MERS, which mm -hmm. happened in the uh, early 2000. And then I think uh, 2009. Nine, yeah. um, so we had some experience, but those went away. Yeah. They just kind of, fizzled out mm -hmm. so we had a little bit of experience but yeah i don't think we understood it as well as uh, we do now i think what was also intriguing is you know how it impacted the elderly versus young people yeah uh you know uh, the flu is a lot you know can, like children can get the flu teenagers can get the flu sure it, it really was a different upper respiratory type of mm -hmm. uh, pathogen which had the biggest devastation on the elderly and people who are compromised yeah. uh, in, in a much more devastating sort of way than we've seen with uh, anything else. So what, what were your thoughts? Because there's some controversial topics like um, should we shut down? Should mm -hmm. we not shut down? Should we wear one mask, two masks, no masks? Um, 
would you have handled it any differently if you were Dr. Fauci, for example, mm -hmm. um, early on, or even you can't say early on, because mm -hmm. let's say in retrospect, um, do you think the shutdown was, was something we should have done? Um, and what are your thoughts on masks and things like that? Yeah. Like what, what would you have done differently is, is, you know, well, you know, it's, it's, you don't want to be a Monday morning quarterback, but sure. the, the one thing I, I don't think I, I ever really understood is a much bigger emphasis mm -hmm. on protecting the vulnerable. I mean, if you really think about it, yeah. if you really, really thought about it, mm -hmm. if we locked up everybody over 50, literally, yeah. and anybody with pre existing conditions, let sure. the economy roll, yeah. you know, otherwise, as long as the people who are younger were not then, you know, exposing themselves to the elderly. Sure. And I think that's where the lockdowns came from. I, I think there's inherently nothing really wrong when you look at the statistics with younger people, you know, getting COVID. But I yeah. think the problem is they get it. And transmit it. And they go see grandma. Exactly. Okay. And they yeah. go see grandpa or they yeah. go see somebody with an underlying condition. Yeah. Because if you look at the death rate among younger people, obviously it's not as big of a concern. Sure. So I think, you know, were there ways to surgically protect mm -hmm. the immunocompromised and the elderly from those younger people? Yeah. I don't know if there was enough strategy devoted to that. Okay. Do you see what I'm saying? Totally. If, there, there, if there's a real campaign, you know, because and, and by the way, there are people, the younger kids who didn't wear a mask, didn't do anything, mm -hmm. you know, a stronger level of education saying, fine, if you're going to do that, okay, we can't, whatever. But, you know, stay away, you know, from people who are going to be at risk. Yeah. And even with everything we did, even if we added that as, as a campaign. Mm hmm you know, so if you're going to go and hang out and go to parties and whatever, okay, just have a little responsibility sure. that you do not then go visit someone or... Yeah, it's vulnerable. Yeah. That's vulnerable. Yeah. Um, and I think I would have liked to seen a little more of that added to whatever we were doing. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah, because it's so funny because you see, one of the things I noticed from coronavirus is, is um, how the states had so much control. Like right. you have Nevada, you know, we're doing lockdowns and then the, mm -hmm. the state over, depending on the, you know, if it was a Republican or a Democrat right. running in office, like, right. and how that, how politics kind of impacted, um, you know, how they treated their constituents or what, what percentages there were. And, um, you know, one of the things I always wonder is with masks, like, mm -hmm. um, are they making it, is it making a big impact? And nobody maybe knows now, maybe there's not enough data on it. Well, but. I mean, so the masks make a difference in the sense that, you know, it prevents one way of transmission. So, mm -hmm. you know, the coronavirus is transmitted one by big droplets. So, sure. you know, so if you're Coughing, talking, sneezing, or even if you're speaking, you're generating uh, droplets. Yeah. So to the extent that they can uh, capture droplets, it would be effective. And so, you know, even if there's, you know, you know, you use a hockey analogy. Sure. If the other team, if the other team has three ways to threaten you, three great players. Yeah. Shutting down one is, is not such a bad thing. <laughs> yeah. Now you may say, well, but I'd rather shut down one than to let all three kind of have their way. Sure. So I think, you know, getting rid of these large drop droplets mm -hmm. is a win. Yeah. Oh yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, but the problem is, unless you're wearing a, a N95, you're not going to be able to prevent the small ones and even a good fitting one. Mm -hmm. 
So I think, you know, we can't throw out the baby with the bathwater. I think wearing masks obviously catches all that. Yeah. Uh, and especially more so for the person who's actually infected. Yeah. If they're infected, it's actually going to protect someone else. So I think it's shutting down or helping reduce the large droplet yeah. transmission masks make a difference. Yeah. Uh, but ultimately, if you want total protection, you know, you'd have to get a, a form-fitting N95 mask, which will then, you know, capture the smaller droplets. So, and, and the problem is the public isn't, you know, used to properly um, wearing masks, right? And handling right. masks. I, right. I know I'm terrible at it. I'll right. go into Starbucks, put yeah. it on, throw it in the side of my car, <laughs> yeah. grab it, go somewhere. You know what I mean? It's not, yeah. that's yeah. not the way. A doctor, they go into your your patient's room and they throw that mask away, right? right? And there's a certain way to do it. And so. Right. And yeah. also the N95 in the hospital setting, you actually go and you're fitted for it. Yeah. And also, you know, having a beard, whatever can actually break the seal. So there's a lot of w ways that you, you have to wear an N95 correctly sure. to get the right fitting as well as to make sure, you know, there aren't gaps and what have you. So I think, I think masks are a good thing. Yeah. Obviously, uh, but I, I think I, I don't, and I, and I, and I know we've both met people who were like, well, I wore my mask everywhere. I don't know how I got it. Sure. Uh, and that's probably just because it's not a hundred percent. Of course. Yeah. Nothing is. Yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. and, and so it's like you said, using the, the sports now, you're picking your battle. Right? right. And, and, you know, obviously it has an impact. I think one of the things that bothered me as a, you know, regular Joe is the inconsistencies of you know, between different states right. and to between different establishments. Like why are the restaurants so bad? Right. But then right. Um, other, you know, you can go into Walmart and, you know, right. put on a mask and, and, you know, there's no occupancy limits and things like mm -hmm. that. Um, so that was frustrating. Some, I think. some of it is ar arbitrary. Yeah. I think, um, I think, uh, you know, a lot of the governors were just, you know, some, some were arbitrary, some were based on science. Yeah. Um, and they, they're just trying to, you know, what they think is the best decision. Do you think that'll make an impact if God forbid it happened again? Um, will, will, will there be more of a national mandate you think off the bat mm -hmm. versus yeah. letting the States control the decisions? Or, I mean, I know that's kind of a more of a political question, but just curious how they would handle it differently if it happened well, again. Well, I think the government's role, federal role, instead of being more in control, I mm -hmm. think they have an obligation which is more obvious now sure. to be prepared. Yeah. I think, you know, uh, you know, if you remember early on, you know, the fact that we didn't have masks and PPP, yeah. uh, PPE, uh, it, it's, I think we should have our own reserve and sort of a tsunami warning system yeah. for the next pandemic, you know? Sure. So if you've ever been on an island, you know, they have a whole system, you know, with, things that warn you and and, yeah. and and have an action plan and what have you. And I think, you know, not outsourcing all our masks problem, to, yeah. to other places sure. and having enough in case it were to happen. Uh, I think that's the government can really make an impact, the federal government, mm -hmm. by really working on preparedness yeah. for the next one. Okay. Now, now this is a, a there's a lot of controversies and, mm -hmm. and conspiracies that came around. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the most famous ones is the Bill Gates conspiracy. Mm -hmm. or he's going to put like a microchip in your brain. And right. I don't know who, who makes this stuff up, but um, <laughs> educate us, you know, from from a uh, professional opinion, mm -hmm. um, you know, an expert's view uh, of of the different vaccines, the, the differences between them. Um, 
And do people have a choice of which one do I like? I want the Moderna versus the, you know, the the Johnson and Johnson one. Right. You know, tell us about each one, the right. options, and and you know, um, yeah. Just, okay. Yeah. Well, in the United States, there's only three that have been authorized. So okay. we have the Moderna and the Pfizer, which are one class of uh, COVID nineteen vaccines. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have the new Johnson and Johnson. Um, in terms of getting a choice, uh, I don't think most people have a choice. I mean, depending okay. on how you're getting it, they're going to have one or the other. Mm-hmm. And I think the strategy right now should be to take the first one that's offered to you. Okay. Because while you're waiting for the one you like, you could actually get the virus. Sure. So that would not be good. Yeah. So uh, the strategy is, you know, because all three are effective in essentially preventing death, which mm-hmm. is the worst outcome. Yeah. So... I would take the first one that's offered to me. What the difference between them, of course, is the Pfizer and Moderna are mRNA vaccines, which means, you know, they just take the genetic code for the spike protein, which is on the virus, mm-hmm. and they put it in a soap bubble, a lipid particle, sure, and they inject it into your muscle. And that, believe it or not, that genetic material goes into your cells, and they start producing the spike protein. Your body sees the spike protein. It thinks it's seeing the whole virus. Mm. So that's one way. And then Johnson & Johnson does it a different way where they actually take a cold virus that can't replicate. They put the genetic material into the cold virus. So you kind of get the cold virus into your arm. Okay. It releases the genetic material into your cells and you, again, produce the spike protein and develop antibodies to it. So both ways are we're injecting genetic material into you for Mm -hmm. the spike protein. No microchips. No microchips, (laughs) not yet. (laughs) But but then your body either way produces the spike protein. As I always say to people who are wondering whether they should get the vaccine or not, assuming you're going to see the the SARS-CoV-2 virus Mm -hmm. would you prefer to see the whole virus or would you just prefer to see the spike protein of the virus yeah yeah in other words you know either way if you get infected or get the vaccine you're seeing the spike protein you Mm -hmm. just want to know what's going to be behind the spike protein nothing or a virus yeah Yeah. so that's why i encourage people if given an opportunity to take the one of those three vaccines gotcha and you you were vaccinated correct i was i got uh, two doses of the moderna uh, vaccine. How did you feel? Uh, the first shot, uh, okay. The second yeah. one was uh, 24 hours of yeah, just kind of really being lethargic, yeah, which is very common. Yeah, which is common for any vaccine for the most part, right? I know when I got my kids yeah. vaccinated, they, they can get a fever and things like that. You can. You can. Yeah. I, I think these have a little more oomph than Do most yeah, yeah. Uh, compared to most flu shots I've gotten and stuff. But um, but there, there are new technology too. So, you know, it, it just may be that they have a little more of that first 24 hour side effect than so you, most. So you don't have any concerns like long-term? I mean, I know that's something that people come up like, cause there's not enough data that hasn't been, you know. Well, I'm just thinking of it as a, as a molecular biology. I mean, you, basically they're injecting like the Moderna vaccine, mm-hmm. they're injecting the, the RNA for the spike protein into you. Mm-hmm. If I got the virus, I'd get the whole genetic material, including the spike protein. Sure. I'm just trying to figure out what long-term side effect. Would you like to see the whole long, long strand of the DNA of the virus? Or just a part. Would you like to see just a little portion? That's So it's not like, I think people say, well, I'm not getting the vaccine. Well, 
that doesn't mean you're not going to get to see the genetic material of the SARS-CoV-2 virus anyway. Yeah. It's not like I'm not going to get the vaccine and I'm not going to be exposed to the virus. So if you think of it that way, that you're going to put, I mean, if you, if you think, you know, 25, 30 million people in the United States have Mm -hmm. documented, you know, exposure with a positive test. And if you assume that for every one person, there's three to six people who got it and didn't go get tested. Yeah. You know, we're talking about 100 to 150 million people in the U.S. who've already had the opportunity to meet the SARS-CoV-2 virus. Yeah. So it's not like, oh, I'll never, that's such a low likelihood I'll ever, I'll see it. More than likely, you're probably going to see it one way or another. Sure. So why not? Why not get the spike protein first? That makes sense. Yeah, because I'm 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 pro vaccine. Always have been. Mm-hmm. You know, both my kids are vaccinated. Yeah. I get in fights with some family members, not to be mentioned. You yes. know, as as to whether or not they're they're good for you, and you know, you yeah. hear all those rumors. Yeah. Um, but I believe in medicine and modern medicine, right? And so, but my family and I got coronavirus in, in November, yeah. and um, I was mostly asymptomatic. I right. sneezed, and yeah. you know, luckily, you know, knock on wood, you know, nobody yeah. got violently ill. I have a three and a half year old and a one and a half year old. Uh-huh. They both had fevers, and then the next right. day they were back running around. Right. And in the house right, right. and my wife was lethargic you know <laughs> yeah, and tired but i second guess and my wife and i talk about like are we going to get the vaccine you know yeah. even though we're pro vaccine yeah it's like okay i've had it i experienced it it didn't have a big impact not saying yeah. the second time wouldn't yeah um what do you say to guys like me mm-hmm. you know i mean i know you, I, you you feel like hey everyone should get it and then you, you know you and i are friends you know me well mm-hmm. and i'm like mm-hmm. eh, i might, might let the let the vaccine marinate a little bit <laughs> before i before i jump in right, and, and get it right, right. um what do you say cuz i'm i'm sure i'm not the only one what do you what do you say to people like myself you know that so the guidelines is you sh- that, that even though you're protected mm-hmm. because you were exposed that this is going to also protect you by getting the vaccine but i certainly get that i mean you know yeah. you have a certain amount of immunity we don't know how long the immunity from catching it mm-hmm. is going to last yeah. versus the vaccine sure. the immunity, how long that's going to last. Mm-hmm. And so you can make the argument, well, I'll wait to, until that data is available. But yeah. Eventually that data will be available. You know, how long did pe- do people's immunity who got the virus last, mm-hmm. meaning prevent a reinfection yeah. versus people who got the vaccine, how long does that immunity last, meaning preventing reinfection? Sure. Uh, And then you could take it to the next level is how long does the immunity last for people who got the the virus and the vaccine? Mm -hmm. So that data will come out eventually. Sure. Right. Yeah. So you can make the argument saying, well, you know, I'm willing to hang out until I'm willing to hang out until uh, we figure that out. Yeah. And and wait and see. And so, uh, but this current recommendation is you get the virus. But if someone were to say, I want to see the data for which immunity will last longer, I, I could I could see that. Yeah. So when do you, um, you know, some of the local economy and just the, the virus as a whole, mm-hmm. like, when do you see this coming to a quote unquote end? Right, um, right. And, and where do you see Las Vegas going uh, mm-hmm. when that happens? Yeah. Well, you know, it goes back to some of the stats we we're talking about earlier. If you believe 30 million Americans have a documented infection. Yeah. Okay. And that's what the data is showing. And if you believe there's a multiple of that, 
that are undocumented infections. Sure. So we're talking, you know, maybe 100 to 150 million Americans have already been infected, if you believe that. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, we're up to, I think, about 50 million people have already gotten one dose of the vaccine. If you believe that number, you know, we're fast approaching 150 to 250 million people that have some form of immunity potentially. And in the next 60 days, you know, there's some news out there that, you know, there'll be ample vaccines for everybody by, you know, I believe May. So if everyone really has access to the vaccine, mm -hmm. uh, things should be looking good. There's only two curveballs that I would keep in mind. I mean, yeah. if these two curveballs don't occur, then I think we're good. I think that the curveballs are, you know, will eventually a variant or another strain come out that's not covered by the vaccine. So yeah. that, that's the curveball. That, sure. Uh, that, How likely yeah. is that? I mean, nobody knows, right? But well, we know we know certainly like the the variant from England is covered for the most part by the two mRNA vaccine, Pfizer, Moderna, mm -hmm. and uh, and probably the AstraZeneca vaccine in in England. Um, so, but we still don't know about the South African variant, and and we still don't know about the Brazilian. Mm -hmm. variant. But putting those two aside, if those variants are covered and we can get herd immunity, that's going to look good. And the last thing I think the, the the unknown is how long will these vaccines confer immunity? Uh, but even then, both Moderna and Pfizer are working on booster shots sure. to cover the variants. So if those two things you know, don't come to fruition, meaning a variant that's not covered by the vaccine and or the immunity just kind of peters out. Yeah. Uh, then I think we're looking good. I mean, I, I can't see a scenario where this summer should be pretty okay. I don't know yeah. when some of these mandates will be removed or when things will be normal. Sure. But if if everybody in the United States has access yeah. to a vaccine come May, mm -hmm. Uh, I think things are going to be looking good. I think it's going to be much better. Sure. I think we're going to see a lot more opening up of, um, you know, states that are locked down and yeah. more opportunities for people to get together. Yeah, I'm noticing that too. I was out uh, like two Fridays ago and, and I was at the Red Rock Casino over the weekend, which uh -huh. you'd probably shoot me on yeah. not to do. But, That's okay. um, you know, it was busy. I mean, was you it? know, yeah, yeah, the restaurants were packed. I mean, yeah. casino was was yeah. vibrant. Did um, it look like 2019? Um, yeah. I don't know if I'd say that yet, but but yeah, yeah it's it's getting there. Yeah. And I don't know if it's people being just fatigued from yeah. being indoors and they're just like, screw it, I'm I'm you know heading mm -hmm. out, or or if they've like you mentioned, they've already gotten it, or right. or they had the vaccine. But right. I've been noticing a, a positive change, and a lot of people we've talked to um, have talked about referencing it like it's going to be like the Roaring Twenties out yeah. here when it happens. Um, right, there's a lot yeah. of pent up. Uh, yeah, I mean, almost everyone I've talked to is like has these pent up vacations planned. Yeah, right? yeah. I mean, they're just like you know, like. Writing them all down. We're going to do this. We're going to do. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So if that's true, there's going to be a lot of a big roar back to you know. You won't Travel. Be able to, yeah, you won't be able to get a hotel and that yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah.
which is exciting to know. At least, yeah. there's, at least there's like light at the end of the yeah. tunnel. And, and I think even if we're, you know, I'm totally fine with wearing a mask, like, mm-hmm. I, you know, play by the rules because it, sure. it impacted my business, you know, quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And so that's scary, right? You know, you know, putting food on the table and, and things like that. So whatever the rules are, follow them, of right? Of course, um, 100%. Just to, just to kind of move, move on and move past it. Yeah. But I think there's, you know, it may not be over by the summer, but as mm-hmm. long as we see things progressing um, and we start seeing trade shows come back, and I know like the the live theater shows and entertainment venues are starting to starting to slowly open, I think, here soon. Well, yeah, even the Golden Knights opened up recently. So yeah. With the partial yeah. fans. Yeah. So, yeah, I think by summer we will see, I don't think it'll be back to normal, but I think we are going to see openings, some openings of stuff. Yeah. Uh, which kind of makes sense, uh, especially if those two other curveballs Sure. Don't come into play. It's funny. I remember because you and I have nights tickets together. Yes, and, and one of the funny things was, um, you know, we, we split the season. So one of the, I had a big concentration of games like in February uh-huh. and uh, the beginning of March. And I was like, man, I'm so sick of going. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because yeah. you're like, it's like, oh, it's a game Monday, Tuesday, yeah, Wednesday right, and Friday. Right, and, right. and now I look back, I'm like, I'd kill to go to a oh, game. You know, I, know, I mean, those are some of the best times in town. You it, know, it's so funny because uh, just, uh, you know, like I killed a like. You know, a few months ago, I would kill to go get a haircut. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Just to get a yeah, yeah. <laughs> Like Just the simple things. The simple things. I, I, I would kill to go which, fill up my gas. Which is awesome because I think I think people, you know, you naturally um, take things for granted mm-hmm. in life. And I think, yeah. you know, with when you when you go through such a yeah. traumatic experience, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you're going to appreciate the small things. Oh, yeah. You know, which yeah, is yeah. which is exciting. Yeah. I, I mean, just go into the mailbox. And get your mail. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But um, so let's hop over some personal questions sure, and things sure. like that what are what are some things you enjoy doing um you know outside of work you know i know you're a big knights fan what are some things you you love doing in, in las vegas or even in, around las vegas yeah yeah well we're, we're um you know obviously you know we're huge huge sports fans and yeah. hockey fans so that's sure. a big part of what we do uh you know and then i spend a lot of time with my kids you know we're really um you know too uh, much now right yeah too much (laughs) and you know we've gone to red rock we do a lot of fun stuff and then we you know we're really into traveling so i try to take my kids to different places and just see different parts of the country and especially in the summers when they're off school that's like a a perfect time yeah yeah, we just you know boom 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 um, any plans for when things open up yet or uh you know we've just typical you know try to get them to florida yeah southern california nice yeah that's awesome yeah so jumping back to you know because you're a teacher at at, at the universities um what are what are some some advice you'd give to you know up-and-coming medical students uh, Uh about their career maybe some things that you did incorrectly that you would have done differently. Mm-hmm. Um, I know you mentioned Ohio state, like you'd really recommend going to like a, a yeah. big school. Yeah. What would you say to, you know, uh, Joe medical student? Uh, yeah. Well, I, I think, I think the thing that medical students need to understand is it's evolved and changed. I think the old days, I think people went to medical school because they liked autonomy mm-hmm. You know, almost everybody that I went to medical school with had this vision of them having a private practice and, yeah. you know, being their own boss. And it kind of, a lot of people gravitate towards medicine because of that. You know, they don't yeah. want to be, you know, employee number 132. Sure. Uh, but I think those days have changed and yeah. already. Yeah. I, I think the likelihood that if you finish medical school, you'll be working for someone. Yeah. yeah. And I think that realization... I'm assuming it has hit or if it hasn't, it should hit. Yeah. Because the likelihood that you will be working for yourself is 
very small. Yeah. And that's completely changed. Yeah. So how people view medicine, you know, I think uh, the independent streak of people where I'll be able to have my own values and my own practice. And, you know, hospitals are buying up practices and corporations are buying up practices. Is that what's happening? Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. There There are very few solo practitioners around. Interesting. So you're essentially... You know, statistically, I, I don't know if I have the data immediately to back that up, but yeah, I think if you graduate in 2021, you're, you're it's a whole different you're, world. You're, you're going to be working for Is someone. That, did you see the writing on the wall? Is that mm-hmm. why you kind of ventured out? And did well, that's not thing? why I did, but yeah, the yeah. writing was on the wall. I mean, you could, yeah. see, you could see it coming. I mean, it's all about you know how do we you know control physicians' behavior, mm-hmm. and you know there's only so much you can do to play with reimbursements. At the end of the day. Why don't we just employ them? Yeah, and then we we you know we control everything. Yeah, sure. And so uh, obviously not the medical decision making, but you know the the other parts, the business end of it. Um, you know, I think people want to have more control over physicians in that sense. So I think it's it was a natural evolution. Did you when you were young? Did you envision doing the things you're doing now? No, no. In, in what way? Like what what did you think you were going to do? Yeah, or B. Yeah. I know that's a loaded question. Yeah, right? that's a loaded question. Uh, you know, did you always I, want to be a doctor? Like, yeah, I always want. Yeah, yeah. Actually, you know, you know, we all we. Yeah. All, I love sports a lot, so of course, you know, we that's what we <laughs> dream about. But, and then you went for your first yeah, run. Yeah, you're like, that's yeah, not going to happen. That's then. not going to happen. <laughs> uh, no, I, I. You know, you don't know. You're naive. You know, you just sure. think I'm going to help people. Yeah, and which of course you do, uh, but you don't think of the business end of it. You just think, oh, this is a field. Uh, which is nice because you say this is a field where I can make an impact. Yeah, I can yeah. I can help people. Yeah. Um, you know, um, you know, growing up watching the shows I did, it seems like the physician was just a family advocate and yeah, we're, you know, we're, we're helping people in, in the time of need. And mm-hmm. and luckily I've, I've been, you know, fortunate to be able to do that. I mean, I, you really can make an impact. Yeah. yeah. I, I think one of the things that I mentor young doctors mm-hmm. is – how much your patients are hanging on to every word you say. Oh yeah. Yeah. And 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 your kindness and compassion can drastically alter yeah the viewpoint. I, I think people forget how people view physicians. They view physicians somewhat like God sometimes. Yeah. Especially the older generation. And so I teach my residents and my medical students, just be careful. They're hanging on to every little word. Yeah. And yeah. when you walk out. They're thinking know, about everything you said. Like, Honey, what, yeah. what, what, what do you, what, what, he said, uh, why do you say it like that? Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, I think there's a great Seinfeld episode of I can go to where, where George goes to see a dermatologist. Yeah. For, for a mole. <laughs> I think I remember and, that. Yeah. Right? And, and I think vaguely, and he goes, uh, he goes, he asked about what is that? He goes, well, I don't know. We'll do a biopsy. And then he, he comes back to the, the apartment and he goes, I don't know. Why didn't, you know, it must be something serious. Because if it wasn't serious, he would have said, get out of here. It's nothing. <laughs> but he didn't say, get out of here. And he's just reading into what he thought. Right. He, yeah. right. Instead, yeah. Of, instead of saying, well, I don't know. Let's do a biopsy, which is like, you know, kind of like a very, you know, yeah. standard thing that a physician might say. You know, he wanted to hear like, get out of here. You know, this is nothing. Stop worrying about it. And so you, I think that's a, a parody of how people hang on to every word a physician says. Yeah. So yeah. if you, if you kind of even say, 
joking, like, come on, this is no big deal. But, you know, just to be safe, let's do a biopsy. Sure. That goes a long way compared to, I don't know. Well, let's just do a we'll biopsy. We'll find out. Yeah. yeah, we'll find out. I had that and, happen to me, too, with my, with my son. He was sick. He had uh, mm-hmm. RSV. Like, mm-hmm. And I said, is he going to be okay? like, I, he was so bad that I was like, right. is he going to survive? Right. You know, and the, he's like, he should. And like, I just yeah. felt really uncomfortable, right. you know, like, like you're trying was, to, you're trying to decipher what he should meant. Yeah, exactly. And you know, I think people have had yeah. really great experience with doctors and like any profession and, and negative ones. Right. Mm-hmm. And it, it has a, a big impact. Um, I remember when my grandfather was sick and I, I called you up cause they had him parked at the uh, mm-hmm. St. Rose in like a the, the hallway because there was. It I was came full. to see him. Yeah, yeah, and you and you walked in there. So I was calling you Puff Daddy. Remember? Because <laughs> you walked in there and you just went straight to the charts like you were a VIP. Oh, <laughs> and, yeah, that. and uh And actually, we we found out from you that he was not gonna um, that he was gonna pass. But it was comforting to know why and 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 how mm-hmm. versus before if we didn't happen to know you. We were just sitting there waiting and, and you know, had no Thank end you. in sight. Yeah. So, yeah. so it, it is, it is a, it's a great profession, you know, and I mm-hmm. think it's, it's kind of sad to hear that it's getting, you know, um, becoming bought out by conglomerates. Right. And it's, yeah. you're losing that. Cause I remember growing up, we had a, a small family doctor, a pediatrician that we'd go to and everybody went to him. Yeah. And, you know, so that's, you know. Well, I mean, you know, if I can put a positive spin on it, I think. I'm hoping that as physicians don't have to worry about the business side of it, they mm-hmm. can actually be, spend more time being compassionate and focus on the patient and focus on the patient. Um, yeah. You know, because, you know, one of the pluses of some of the changes is that the physicians, you know, are not worried about payroll and they're not worried about this or that. Sure. Um, so, you know, and, and let's, you know, be frank, I think most doctors I meet are really, compassionate people who are in it for the right reason yeah so if if taking some of that away from them can free them up it's a good point yeah to to focus on patients because you know the amount of time you spend with every patient if we can increase that and get rid of some of the other stuff by use leveraging technology that they have to do the paperwork and sure all of that and they can spend more time face to face that's going to be that's going to make a dramatic difference in how the patients feel yeah so i i think leveraging technology and getting rid of some of the business end of uh, stuff and letting physicians focus on what they're good at yeah just spending time with their patients understanding them Mm -hmm. at the end of the day you know i I remember this interesting stat i heard when i was training which is you know a third of all visits to primary care doctors are for reassurance. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's nothing wrong. No. They no. just want to hear that there's, there's nothing, nothing wrong. wrong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so yeah. physicians really sometimes, you know, when you're starting training, you don't get that. You're like, yeah. oh, how frustrating. Why, why is this person here? Yeah. But when you say, hey, one third of my job is to say, oh, I hear you. There's nothing wrong. Don't worry. Yeah. And But that's your job. That's yeah. one third of your job. Yeah. Yeah. And get used to it because that's what you signed up for, you yeah. know, to reassure people that they're going to be okay. Yeah. And that's that's not a waste. That's part of what you do. Yep. Which is awesome. Yeah. So let's, uh, we had to ask you a hockey question. Okay. So, so I remember, remember I admitted I was wrong when. When was this? Uh, can uh, I get this? Is this Mar- recording? <laughs> <laughs> when I said the pandemic, oh, it's no big yeah, deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I still remember the first uh, preseason game when the Knights mm-hmm. played the Blackhawks and you're like, look at how 
perfectly the Blackhawks are passing the puck and yes, how is. much skill they have. Yes. And then we weren't trying because it, yeah. it was preseason. But, right. And then regular season happens and I think you guys never beat us, right? For a couple of years. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I would call and, and, and bust your balls. But, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, if the Knights played the Blackhawks in the, in the conference finals because you're a fan of both yes. teams, now, who, who are you rooting for? You know, my, yeah, my kids ask me this. Um, it's difficult. It's yeah. almost like having two kids. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I just root for overtime. <laughs> exactly. Root for a good game. Yeah. Yeah, root for a good game. Yeah, but we all I, know who'd win. Yeah, anyway, yeah, it doesn't yeah, matter. I know. <laughs> I know. They're, they're not looking good, the Blackhawks. But, Better than but, we thought they'd be. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for to sure. Kane. I mean, yeah. that Patrick Kane. You know, I'll tell you something. You know, Patrick Kane has really evolved into a once in a lifetime player. I, I don't I don't think people get it. Yeah. That guy. No, he's amazing. He yeah. is so skilled. Yeah. I mean, um so he can he can carry a whole team sometimes, but maybe we'll get him at, at some point. Yeah. Well actually there were some there were some trade rumors right before really? the season started. Oh no way. Yeah. But just of them trying to unload him. Yeah. But uh no he's amazing. So but yeah, it'd be a hard, hard one to pick. So last question, mm-hmm. kind of a fun question. Yeah. So um you have kids yeah. and, and I'm a dad relatively yeah. new dad. Um, give me like, what's your all time most epic funny story or something embarrassing your kids did um, that, you, that you, <laughs> I know there's probably a million of them to, to remember, but is there any particular story that you want to share? Um, something that happened with your kids. Anything, anything fun, funny? Um, with my children, <laughs> um, you know, um, I think, uh, I think um, uh, one time uh, I uh, I was telling my wife I was being interviewed on on the news. Yeah, and uh, I, I think uh, so. I, I got a text that I was going to be on the six o'clock news or something. <laughs> yeah. So t- I say, hey, you know, let's turn on the news. Yeah, uh, and just see. And I guess they were like watching SpongeBob or something. And, <laughs> And so uh, <laughs> I changed it. Yeah. And there I was. And I'm thinking, oh, wow. They're going to be so, so proud. They're going to be so <laughs> proud. <laughs> as soon as the piece is over, it's like, can we go back to SpongeBob? <laughs> yeah. You're killing us. <laughs> like, okay. Yeah, they couldn't care less. They right? couldn't care less. It's so funny. No, how kids no, are. Yeah, no one's impressed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, they're a very tough crowd. You so know. no more. You're done, right? No more kids. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> that's it. That's it. What about you? You're like, uh, I got two. I'm, I'm done. You're like a factory. <laughs> Yeah, my wife is more over it than I am. Are you sure? Yeah, I think yeah. so. I think yeah. so. Well, but, uh, luckily, you know, I've seen your kids. They, they look like her. Thank God. But, um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You should have more. <laughs> Listen, it was awesome sitting down with you, uh, learning about you know coronavirus, your your career, and um, I've always looked up to you uh, as, as you. a um, as an entrepreneur, as a person, and um, you know value your friendship and, oh, and things like that. More than so, you know too. Mar- thank you friendship. so much. Thank yeah. You. So um, tell us where, where can people find you on, on social, um, your website. Tell us a little bit about where they can find uh, you and your businesses. Yeah. So e7health.com and urestrictestcenters.com. And uh, as in terms of me, jonathanbacteriamd.com. So those are three places uh, that you can go and or on all the social media websites. So that, that's if you want to follow us and get updates on stuff, that's uh, we do a lot of updates, especially on uh, the coronavirus and stuff. So uh, we try to do a lot of education. And you're going to start that podcast soon or what? Yeah, we're going to do a podcast on YouTube. Um, um, sort of like, like we we're talking about earlier, like a yeah. expose on healthcare, you know, just, you know, what do you really need to know? 
you know, when you land in an ER, how do you navigate an ER? How yeah. do you navigate if your your loved one's been admitted to the hospital? Yeah. What do you need to know? Kind of thing. Questions to ask. Things yeah, like questions that. to ask, what to look out for. That's great. Um, you know, and that, that sort of evolved. Like, I wonder if there there would be an audience for people wanting to know, you know, what the inside story is when you're navigating the healthcare system. I think they would, you know, I, I follow your content on LinkedIn and uh-huh. I watched the whole video. It was uh-huh. very interesting uh-huh. because I, I don't think there's a, a, enough doctors out there really doing that. Right? right. Not that I've seen. So I think educating the public about things that, that they care about or concerned about is, is huge besides going to WebMD. Right. 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 <laughs> if you can personalize or, or, or get it down to a kernel, yeah, a small kernel of information that can just, easily understood yeah so it's all about education and getting content out so yeah that's what we're going to try to focus on try to get more and more education out awesome well everyone check out dr Bakhtari. no thank you uh, thanks again for coming oh, on what appreciate an honor and, and i really appreciate the friendship and you've, you've been a close friend of mine forever and thank you so much thanks thank for you having me. all right all right take care Bye-bye. Bye-bye.